Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hi, I'm Annie. I'm Candace. And we are out of line. This is a podcast about stepping out of line, letting go of control for control's sake, recentering the child and challenging the norms of schooling as we know it in this country. What are we talking about today, Candace? We are talking about ourselves. <laughs> ah, hello. All right. So Candace, tell us about Bluebridge School. Um, Annie and I run an agile learning center called Bluebridge School in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We opened Bluebridge to, well, this is our second year. We opened Bluebridge last year um, amid the pandemic and um, just kind of threw ourselves right into this self-directed learning philosophy. So Uh, The kids in our school, we follow light structures to organize the day, but the kids in our school, they don't have um, requirements. They don't, we don't test, they don't have desks. We rarely use worksheets unless they're requested. Um, We service kids all the way from ages three to 14 in the school. Then we also have um, a flying squad that Annie runs. For older children and uh what else Annie so um yeah I don't know our agile learning center um what we are technically doing is supporting the learning of home of families who homeschool their children so um some of our kids come one day a week some of them come many days a week um they are choosing their you know the the families overseeing the education of their child. And we are just there to, we're there to support it. So we do teach reading and math, right? That's usually the first question we get. How do kids learn to read or how do kids learn math? If they're self-directed, we're teaching that, but we're teaching it in a way that it's embedded in our play and activity throughout the week. Um, We really can differentiate our learning um, for individuals because uh, in our learning center, we have about 20 to 25 kids a day with three facilitators, three adults who are somewhat teacher-like, even though we try, we don't really use the word teacher. We use the word facilitator because we're there to facilitate their learning, not to teach the learning. Um, And that flexibility of having three of us in that space with that many kids really means that we can um, get to know our learners. We can um, establish trust and relationships that um, where the, where people feel supported and they feel heard and they feel seen. And sometimes we do take them out of their comfort zones and push them to learn things beyond what they feel like they're capable of. It's not just um, all completely by choice, but it is with consent. And so I think that's the biggest difference between what we do and what's done in a conventional school setting. Um, 
We don't ever say you have to be in this space doing this activity. Uh, we can strongly encourage if we think it's something that is right for the learner, but um, if they're saying no, that's fine. We move on. Uh, yeah, it, it took us, it, it, it was a road to get here, right? So Candace, when did we meet? I moved to Grand Rapids in, um, we're, we're based in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I moved here as a newbie, completely not knowing anyone in uh, 2016. I was about nine months pregnant when we moved here. And then shortly after I had a toddler and an infant and not much of a social life, not knowing anyone. So I spent a lot of time on Instagram. I do remember we met by Instagram. Oh, <laughs> it was an online love story. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, we met in 2017. So I remember we met at a coffee shop and I brought Tommy. Yeah, and he was, and he was like little. a baby. Yeah, he was a baby. So on maternity leave? It's possible. Because you were working. You were working as an administrator at that point, right? Yeah, but I only got I got six weeks of maternity leave. That's all I got. Welcome to America. Yep. <laughs> um, was that paid even? Mm, I think it was like no, no, it was not paid. Nope. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we did, we, we found each other because at the time I was doing a lot of, uh, training of teachers and educators around wellness using yoga and mindfulness. And that came out of need from when I was the director of a childcare center and we lost a lot of teachers to burnout and, uh, better jobs that had more flexibility and, uh, we realized that we needed to create a culture of community care at our center and um, show teachers and caregivers that we prioritized their self-care and created space for opportunities for it throughout the day. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what I was doing when we moved here. I was consulting, doing consulting and training around that piece. And you were in a related field. I was running, uh, well, I was working in a school but then I was running a nonprofit called Minds on Mats. And what we did was bring yoga into schools. So we were in, we did like after school programs, during school programs, and we brought yoga into schools through using a curriculum from Yoga Ed. And so then I was also a trainer with Yoga Ed and I was training teachers on how to use yoga in their classrooms. Um, yeah, so this was the point when I was like really deep into wanting to improve the system. And I put a lot of work into trying to improve the system. I think now I'm at the point of just like burn it all down. <laughs> <laughs> this system is the problem, not that you can fix it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, we connected and we did. We put together some teacher workshops that focused on how people could use what is considered alternative. I don't know that it's alternative, but alternative strategies to support learners and then also their own needs, the professional's own needs. Mm -hmm. And that was cool. And that's when we started really like, I remember that conversation in that coffee shop that day and it could have gone on for days. I felt like, cause we started dreaming aloud together about what education could look like and what um, supportive schools could look like. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't, we both had, we both had infants at the time and I had a toddler also, and it took years and it would go, we would go months and months between communication and then something would come up and we'd get together and do some more dreaming out loud about what education could look like. And we talked about, is it a Montessori school? Is it a Waldorf school? Is it a nature school? Is it a forest school? Should we buy this building? Do we have clientele? (laughs) Is it a community center that specializes in supporting families through trauma? Um, So many different ideas bubbled up. And then I remember in January of 2020 meeting a mutual friend of ours and she was like, oh yeah, Candace, she's got it all together. She's got a school she's starting. And I was like, oh, I thought we were going to do that together. And then like a week later, you're like, hey, are you around? I have an idea I want to talk to you about. And I was like, maybe she's going to ask me to be part of it. And we had that conversation. I'm pretty sure like days after the first COVID lockdowns happened in 2020, yeah, like early March, mid-March. And it just like, I'll never forget. You were like, I'm going to start a school. And you started telling me about the agile learning center model. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And where's this going? Where's this going? And Finally, I think you said, like, do you want to be a part of it? And I was like, I don't think you finished the question before I said yes. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, and I have a husband who, you know, usually we talk out major life decisions together before making them. But I just felt like in that time, so much, there was so much uncertainty about the future. And I think we all were contemplating life very differently in very heavy ways mid-March 2020. Um, and I saw families really, really struggling without school. And that was a little bit confusing to me because it was really special time in my house to be home altogether. And while it was really stressful in some ways, it was really, really special that I all of a sudden had extra time with my very young children and didn't have to send them away for 40 plus hours a week to get their education. Um, so it was really easy to say yes, because it was a time when I saw the value in that. And I think in a model like ours, you can see where um, families, like maybe if the support looked different for families early on, all of a sudden being together at home wouldn't have felt so scary or daunting or unrealistic. Yeah. And how did our first year go? So we did that. We did that thing. And I remember it was only a few weeks later that we were like walking through a building and meeting with fire inspectors and childcare licensors. And at that time, I think I still was like, I don't, we we haven't, we never DTR'd. We didn't define our relationship for a while. I was like, I don't know if I'm just teaching for her. I don't know if I'm consulting. I don't know if I'm a partner. Um, but we finally well, had the DTR conversation. Yeah. <laughs> DTR. <laughs> well, then we had the open house and we like posted about it and so many people showed up and then it felt so real because like all of these people showed up and so many people were interested and it was like so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And mind you, this was all like 
fairly early in the pandemic. And so we're like all wearing masks, homemade masks made by our neighbor. (laughs) And, um, you know, we, yeah, like we didn't know what to expect and we didn't know, um, yeah, I don't know. We did. We definitely didn't know what we were getting into. I knew (laughs) next to nothing about the agile learning center model. And I remember going on, um, the child care bar and grill podcast and mentioning it and talking about it. And when they were like, tell us more about the agile learning center model. I was like, totally. Okay. I can Yeah. Well, and I really knew nothing. <laughs> and luckily Lisa Murphy and Jeff Johnson, who are the hosts of that podcast swooped in to save me by just asking questions and saying things like, Oh, that sounds like a Sudbury model. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Writing down a note, like make sure to look up Sudbury models and what they're all about <laughs> later. <laughs> um, but essentially we're a one room schoolhouse and we, um, service school age learners. Uh, we started with three-year-olds We're we're graduating up in the, in the age now, but, um, yeah, so it worked out. <laughs> it's working out. We, made it. we figured it out as we went. And I think that's like all that anybody can do, especially right now, is just make the leap and figure it out as you go. And it was hard and stressful, but now it's like coming together. And yeah. I think part of why we chose to explore this podcast idea too, is because I know I was caught off guard by how much and how deep my own de-schooling process was going to be. De-schooling wasn't really a term I even knew going into this. I had been in the play-based early childhood world for years and thought I was like ready to embrace it all. And then just by adding in school age size learners, it felt suddenly very, very different than what I was used to. Uh, We also, I think, stack the cards up against ourselves because we were starting a school in a pandemic after really the world from March to August for kids especially was still really locked down. Um, You know, maybe some people had started bubbling up with neighbors, things like that. But here in Michigan, um, nobody was in social settings together in a group way. Um, maybe we were just starting to figure out that outside was a little bit safer than inside and people were socializing outside, but really most of these kids had been alone and isolated and, um, their worlds were rocked, right? Like, I think often we forget to acknowledge the experience of young people through the pandemic and all that they, like one day they stopped going to school and, or if, you know, if they weren't a family who went to school one day their parents stopped going to work or, you know, even in the slightest ways, a family who like lives out in the woods and unschools, like they were still affected, right. By this pandemic, but we didn't have that, those families showing up. We had families showing up who were used to more conventional school settings and we opened our doors and we said, here you go, be free children, (laughs) come on in. (laughs) And we, felt it from the first moment. I remember walking in. I, at that point was starting my days with the early childhood group, right? So we have a group that's called roots where we consider more of the early childhood programming. So last year that was ages, you know, three through six or seven. 
I think establishing it, we thought maybe like three through six and then seven through 12 year olds were together in a group called branches. And, uh, the roots group started every morning outside and, uh, it wasn't until, you know, mid morning that we would come inside. But I remember walking inside and being like, Oh my gosh, every single supply in the art room was out, was used, was you like, was used in the weirdest way. Like I remember we had like, um, like um, squirt bottles that were like for paint and for like fun, messy paint, but they were sitting on the shelf empty because it was the first day and nobody had used them yet. And they were like stapled and hot glued to a giant (laughs) wooden board because somebody decided to make a 3d mural. And it was like, that's all of our stuff. (laughs) I just look back at it. and I'm like, why did we put everything out on the first day? Like we had everything out because we were set up for the open house and we wanted everyone to see our beautiful, rich materials. And, um, yeah. (sighs) Like pens and the glue sticks. That was my thing. Or the pen shoved into a glue stick or many. I don't even know. I don't even know what I saw. I blocked it out. Uh, But we were all going buck wild and we (laughs) decided, um, you know, we talked a lot about the de-schooling process that the kids were going to go through and that they were experiencing and different different experts in the unschooling self-directed ed world have different ideas. Some say, you know, it's about a month per year that they've been in school. So we had, I think our oldest learners last year were sixth graders. So we, and we actually did see that it took about six months for those kids to not need us to direct their every move. Right. Like we had a lot of kids come in and say, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I work on now? What should I do now? I just read this book. Isn't that great? You're not going to comment on how great it was that I just read or whatever, <laughs> but we didn't talk a lot about our own de-schooling process and that what would come with it. And, um, I don't know. Do you have anything that stands out in your head of like the very first examples of like a, whoa, that is deeply inside me. And I don't know where that came from. I don't think that I even knew I was going to do school. Like, I don't think that it even crossed my mind. And I know like, like hearing it from other people now, it's like some people say it takes your entire life because we really are just living in a society based on school, right? Like everybody goes through school and then lives their life in this schoolish way. But yeah, I mean, I... I don't know. That's such a good question. Like, I think like for sure the, just the control around like movement in our space was big for me. Like, because in our space, the kids can go, I mean, we have what, like five rooms, the outside space. Um, and they're not all stuck together in desks and I can't, you know, walk up and down the aisles and, you know, check on everybody. And so just that like little bit of control and like not having control in the movement. So the kids can choose where they go. And that was like really difficult for me. Just like, where's this person? Where's this person? What's going on? And for the kids too, I mean, we don't see it anymore because they've like gone through their process. Right. But at first, like they are everywhere. I mean, they're like, (laughs) in the art room and then like playing somewhere else and running outside and 
Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely um, had to quickly find solutions to some tracking <laughs> to just know where people were. Yeah. I think. yeah, that's a really good point. So it's like we don't have to control where they are, but we do have to know where they are, right? And they have to have some sort of uh, like sense of responsibility around it too, because at the time they were just leaving messes like or messes leaving their work <laughs> like everywhere I mean there's work and then there are messes and sometimes <laughs> I, like I know that that's kind of taboo in our world to call children's materials messes but sometimes it's just a mess just a mess I mean that was that was a big thing for me too with the de-schooling like <laughs> yeah, actually, I feel like there were months when all you did was walk around and pick things up. That's all I do still. The other day I was like, this is my main job and I've just accepted it. <laughs> like my main job is cleaning. <laughs> I can remember last year and this was something that I found really funny because I had already been used to having some choice in circle time, right? Like early childhood classrooms have a circle time or a morning meeting or whatever. And, um, I don't, I never had been my own boss and had my own center. And, um, so there always was some requirement or some expectation of circle time happening in the morning. I'd been in facilities where I could control the length of it or the content. Um, and after sitting through so many hours of painful, what is the weather like today? Like today? I mean, like, okay, I could, I could get away from that. Um, but I do remember at one point, cause, and I think most of our kids entered fairly schoolish, right? Even our early childhood kids had come from preschool environments that were a little bit more structured. Um, so at the beginning they still like chose to come to circle time because it was fun. We had really good fun circles. I I'm, I'm like kind of a pro at that. Um, but then they started realizing that they didn't have to. And so then when they could really assert their choice and, I remember like the first day that nobody came, I cried and I was like, (laughs) what's wrong with me? I'm really, really good at circle time, you guys. (laughs) And that was something like, that was part of my own de-schooling process. I was not anticipating um, and really realizing like that was okay. They didn't, I don't have to be the most interesting person in the room all the time, (laughs) much to my chagrin. Well, and that's like such the difficult part about what we're doing is that we're not like, what is our purpose if we're not forcing children to learn or to be somewhere doing something? And as both of us coming from an academic environment previously, where that was our sole purpose, right? And just like trying to find a new way to be in a space and coexist with learners in a space. Yeah. I mean, even like just shifting language, right? Like we're not here to be in charge of children. We're here or be in charge of children's learning. Like we're here to see these young humans as learners that we can learn alongside with, that we can be there to support and notice their curiosities and wonderings and maybe build on that if we can by offering other opportunities or other materials that also support that learning. Um, And it is about, you know, it's, 
there is some, there are some aspects of teaching that come up still with our role as facilitators. We still observe and reflect and plan, but not in the same way as like you do when you are turning in your lesson plans because it's required of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think as this podcast evolves, you'll hear a lot more about our backgrounds and, uh, the places we've been along the way to get to this point. Um, we know it's not possible for everybody to step out of line like we did. Um, so that's where we want to be of service, sharing our own de-schooling process and, um, trying to be raw and brutally honest with it, um, wasn't always pretty. It's still not always pretty, um, but it's honest. And I think people who are in the play world or in the self-directed education world, which often gets shorted, shortened to SDE as we talk, um, people in the SDE and, and play worlds who already get it sometimes forget how it takes to what the process looks like to get there. And so um, maybe we can offer some baby steps along the way from our own experience that will help you step out of line, even just a little bit, you know, maybe you can ditch the hugs and bubbles while you're in line, (laughs) (laughs) something simple. Um, Well, thanks for listening today. And we hope that you will continue listening as we talk about our process of stepping out of line. Thank you. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.